What do you get when you talk about motorcycles, sailing, racing minis, racing around Newfoundland, and a successful business? Well, you get my guest on your story with Melinda, Ruth Thurgood. She's here to talk all about how to redefine yourself through a relationship with Jesus and how that relationship determines what you do with your money when you're successful, the adventures that you go on, reading the Bible, and seeing God in the intricate details of a flower while you're a missionary kid in the Congo. Her story is amazing. It's inspiring if you're struggling with what is God's purpose and will for me and how can I have that adventure of a lifetime. Ruth, it is so great to have you here. And all of this on the table. Now, for people who can't see it, um, maybe you should explain what's on the table here and also this beautiful piece of jewelry around my neck. What is this? Well, that specifically is actually what every competitor gets when they finish Targa, Targa Racing in Newfoundland, which is five days of between nine and 11 races a day. and. We're racing on the road through all kinds of Newfoundland towns, so it's amazing. That's amazing. What kind of car are you racing? Oh, of course. Oh. A supercharged Mini, which you yes, love. Yes, please. Yes, thank you. So we're like Mini, like we're Mini friends. We're Mini buddies. Yeah, we should be racing in Absolutely. Toronto, our Minis. I love this. And then these um, trophies on the table, what do these represent here? Well, we have uh, this one, our first year of racing, my husband and I, we took Rookie of the Year. Ooh. And we took third place. Yeah. And then the final one here, because we placed so high, we actually won another trophy for our team, which is the top team. Wow. Yeah. And the one that's missing is... uh, a plate for under three minutes of penalties, which means we did our job really well. Okay, good. Now, how did you, Ruth, get into racing? Like, I have interviewed a lot of women and men, and no one has been around this table, on your story with Melinda, my show, that's been a racer. Well, I know, and I don't really look like a racer either. <laughs> I get told, you know, you look more like a missionary than you look like a racer. And you're like, mm, do I receive that? How do I feel? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess because of some of my story, mm-hmm. um, I just naturally had it in me. So the first time was my husband for my 40th paid for me to go race Talladega. No and way. And I had my foot on the floor and passed several cars, <laughs> and it was awesome. So it kind of evolved from there. So when I think of Talladega, though, I always think of Talladega Nights, the Oh, movie. for sure. Right. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> the prayer. <laughs> I'm sorry. But Will Ferrell. I know. Yes. I am. Um, that's amazing. I had no yeah. idea. Talladega. Eh? Yeah. I'm really That's a really crazy cool. person under this under facade. Under this facade. <laughs> under this very calm, missionary-looking right. woman. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Like, I mean, we laugh about the missionary thing. But you yeah. you actually grew up on the mission field in Kenya and Congo. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit about your, your story from the beginning and um, hear about that. And then that moment or the process of you deciding to follow Jesus? Well, I'm, yeah, we were first in, the, in Kenya when I was two and a half years old, okay. and I was sick most of the time. Mm. I, you know, I was the 
middle finger sucker, you know, oh. <laughs> and which made me very prone to a lot of illnesses. Mm. Um, so I actually don't remember a lot of growing up in Kenya, but we returned when I was going into grade four and mm. stayed until just before grade nine. And uh, it was, I mean, I will write a book about it one day, okay. but um, but it it's really, you see the the best and the worst of humanity uh, in its really raw form in Congo. And I think because it is so raw, you know, there's no external distractions and materials or whatever to really kind of get to know God. And so for me as a kid, um, you know, there was time to run in the field and mm. explore and um, find locusts and catch termites yeah. and yeah. wacky things like that. Yeah. But uh, the thing that really got me was one day I was on a walk with God and, um, well, walk by myself, but I was just in awe of all the things mm. that God had made. And I noticed that these tiny little flowers that were along the pathway were so incredibly detailed. And I was like, you know what? Only God could do something that tiny for moss uh, that you walk on every wow. day. And it was just that intricate beauty that just really, as an artist, yeah. really kind of connected with me. And how it, old were you, Ruth, I was time? about uh, 12 years old at the time. So at 12, you noticed this detail yeah. of, the, of these little flowers. Yeah, and just mm. that God, uh, the detail of the bugs, uh, because everything in Congo is so beautifully mm. bright. And I just, you know, I'm like, who has that kind of creati creativity? I don't know anybody mm -hmm. that has that kind of creativity. Wow. And yet God took time to put detail into the tiniest little thing. You know, that's a good reminder, Ruth, because in the busyness of our world mm -hmm. and in the bigness of what, you know, we create in society to be the big and the glorious and the, the next big thing, we miss the detail. Absolutely. We miss the, the sweet details of the flower, of, of the bug. And it's just a good reminder to kind of like slow down and have eyes to see creation and the little things that God has created and done. Yeah, and just see the beauty in people around you. And, uh, you know, we're just so busy that we don't pause and really mm -hmm. think about that. And it's, it's sort of when you have that appreciation for what God has done that you have the stamina then to go, you know what, if you can do that little thing, Hmm. You can do something really cool in me, too, and, and it carries you through the tough stuff. So after you saw those flowers and realized that it, was, it only could be God mm -hmm. to create that, how did that understanding of that relationship of who he is, you know, um, impact, change, you know, um, your sort of living, your way of seeing the world going forward? Because after you left Congo, did you come... Here, back to Canada? Came back to Canada, okay. yeah. And, and culturally, it was very different. Yes. So back in the Congo, the women were preparing me for marriage because most girls <laughs> get married at 12. They yeah. were really worried that I was not going to be saleable <laughs> um, because I didn't know how to smoke fish. And I didn't know. So they had you me on a list. You didn't know how to smoke fish, exactly. Ruth. <laughs> Pound flour. So I, they had me on this list. And one woman in particular wow. was determined. So I was learning how to iron properly. I was learning how to wash clothes, like on and on. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole a whole other humorous mm -hmm. stories along there. But uh, when we came back to Canada, it was everything about beauty and fashion. 
And mm. I mean, we lived in Africa. We did not worry about beauty and fashion. <laughs> right. So I'm like, what do you mean I have to do makeup every day? And I have to do, like, we didn't shower every day because we got water once every two weeks. So it, there it were really all these yeah. cultural changes that mm. we went through. Um, and I was teased like incessantly when we returned mm. because I was not hygienic and um, but the what happened in the garden and the pathways as I was hanging out with God was God really made me feel like a princess mm. I felt like I was the little girl twirling around in my pink dress and just like daddy's daddy just adores me mm. and so when I got back to Canada you know, all of that teasing and everything impacted me, but I knew that I was special. Mm. It, it's Good. like that knowledge that you're special, that you're valued, mm. that carries you through that really tough stuff. So when it, everything would go wrong, I would just be like, you know what, I'm somehow, God, I know you're going to help me figure out how to get through this because I know how much I'm loved by you. Ruth, I love that because not a lot of young women think that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to ask you about that because I, I mean, I made poor decisions in my teens. I think one thing that you you talked about, and we experienced this as a missionary family, you know, the cross-cultural Absolutely. Uh, differences and coming, integrating back into a culture where like, you know, my parents are Canadian, yeah. but they'd been gone for so long that when they came back, they were more Asian, Filipino, um, in their in their way, yeah. it was very very difficult. And at that time, no one really talked about it. They didn't have like kind of like this way onboarding back into into society, yeah. and it was really difficult. I think now churches are understanding that better and having a little bit a better process. But in the time, it was devastating. I remember our family walking into the first grocery store. And having a meltdown oh, because absolutely. Yeah. where's all this meat from? What do you mean milk that wasn't powdered milk? What, why are there so many choices of cereal? Like yeah. back then, it was just like cornflakes and powdered milk and maybe some chicken. Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? And we stood yeah. at the grocery store, and I remember my mom just like, "What do we choose?" Because we never had choice. It's so overwhelming. Now there's choice. Yeah. And I think that was a very, very, it was very difficult for our family coming back to Canada. Yeah. And even for me, when I'd never lived here, I was like, what is this place? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was just in the late 80s. Yeah. And so was there, you know, I want to go back to, to this, but just was there anything that helped your family? I mean, it was difficult, but was there anything that helped your family kind of like re-enter back into Canada? Um, it was I mean, I, I think it impacted my brothers the most mm-hmm. uh, because in Congo, if you're a guy, it didn't matter what age you were, you're the man in charge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the white skin helped. Mm-hmm. They they did a lot of things that they could not do when they came back to Canada. Yeah. So you're kind of shoved back in this little box that's like you're, you know, 14 and 16 years old or, you know, whatever, and you're and – you're, no, you don't do that at your age, you know. Right, um, true. You know, they were running businesses in Congo <laughs> and all kinds of stuff, and suddenly it was, you know, doesn't yeah. work that way here. Um, and it and it impacted us uh, as well. But the church was really good to us when they That's came good. back. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest part was that, you know, we didn't have the money, you know, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you experienced mm-hmm. as well. So our clothes were delivered in garbage bags of, you know, yeah, donation ours was, clothes. Yeah, ours was in, in barrels, yeah. in missionary barrels, and they'd pry open the top of the barrel and out came yeah. clothes. And some of them were new and some of them were used yeah. and old. 
Yes, I remember those moments. And I remember trying to fit into, you know, I'm nine and a half and I'm trying to fit into a size nine just so that I could wear the cute shoes that came, you know, all those things. But it was... um, uh, it was definitely it was definitely a challenge, mm. um, and in that situation, which I'm sure it was for you, our family really ba- banded together, yeah. right, and supported yeah. each other. Um, in that process, you said that you know even though you were teased, because I mean it was such a difference. Like when I came over, I was one of very few brown kids in my community and adopted. Yeah. So that was a, there was like it was almost like two strikes against me at yeah, that time, absolutely. and people didn't said the worst things to me that I don't think they meant in malice or hurt maybe some and maybe it was just like well you're our first brown adopted friend like yeah. that's what, what many people said but even though I made poor decisions later on there still was that sense of how God saw me which is what you were just saying mm-hmm. where do you think that came from and how I say this because I don't hear a lot of young women being able to confidently say that like your circumstances and people can say things but you still have this very strong sense of identity and who you are in Christ? Um, yeah, I mean, I was one of seven kids. So, okay. and I was smack dab in the middle and incredibly shy and quiet. Um, even when we came back and I was in high school, my band teacher spent a whole session just on trying to get me to pound the timpani hard enough that it would actually resonate because I was just so quiet. I spoke in a mouse voice and um, and I think because my siblings were really um, vibrant and, you know, ran the show and whatever, um, I I needed God. Like, mm-hmm. I really needed God to be there. I needed somebody to be there for me. And God was there for me and just gave me that inner feeling that, you know what, you're going to be just fine. And I think, you know, we, we tend to let other people box us in. Mm-hmm and say, this is who you are. And the more that I pressed into God as a kid and then up through becoming an adult, it was an ongoing theme where, you know, someone would say, you're this, and I'm going to box you into this description of yourself. And hmm. God would go, um, no, doesn't work that way. Yeah. I, you know, God is infinitely more and provides, he's the one that provides the opportunities. Yeah. It's not people. And so we don't need to be stuck in those paradigms. Yeah, that's good. In that, you say that you discovered that you could be anything God asked you to be, which is in line of what you're saying. Talk to me about that, because it's like, wait, you could be anything God asked you to be. It's not you could be anything that you wanted to be or that you thought you would be or, you know what I'm saying, which is is like a culture thing where it's like, I'm going to do this and be this, and but you're saying anything God asked you to be. Talk to me a a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it's not that you d- abandon your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, I I always say that God is the best caregiver of your dreams because mm-hmm. he gives them to you in ways you've never expected, not always when you want them, you know, you <laughs> think you're ready for them, mm-hmm. but he also, um, he shepherds you along the way and carries you along the way. And so for, um, for me, it, it's, it hasn't been an instance. It's been a gradual thing. As I've gone along the road, you know, I'm like, but I can't, uh, you know, someone would say, well, you should do this. I don't really feel like I'm capable of doing that. You know, you should run a Bible study or you should hmm. um, try out for this job or you should, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, I, I don't think I'm really there. And 
then God would challenge me to just try it or to just do it. And out of that would come, you know, new a new understanding of what I could be if mm-hmm. I would just trust God and, and go for it. Um, and so I'm very much a different person than I you know, was before. Yeah. I'm not the quiet mouse <laughs> girl anymore. Um, but it's, you know, it's an ongoing challenge. I don't yeah. think you ever sort of, God doesn't like you to get settled into yeah. your own little space and go, okay, I'm really cozy here and I'm staying there. God right. goes, no, like we got other things to do. Yeah. So uh, even, you know, when I've been through challenges um, and you sort of just want to uh, stay and go I'm not worthy or whatever mm-hmm. God goes let's let's keep going and that and that's been the coolest part of my life yeah, you know cool yeah um tell me about because you talk about God so so relationally like God told me you know he directs me and a lot of people struggle with that Ruth that they're like they always question or second guess was that God they don't have a vibrant relationship or communicate you know in an effective or a passionate way. Mm-hmm. What does your sort of inner dialogue and, and relationship look like with Jesus? Well, um, I mean, for me, I read my Bible more than I read a lot of Bible studies mm-hmm. or books. It's really my go-to uh, daily time. Yeah. And and for me, that's paramount. Um of course, we all go through in and out of those times where things get busy and you're like, I haven't spent that time. But that's sort of one of my priorities, kind of like working out or yeah. eating healthy, right? You, you go in and out yeah. of it. But, but it's my primary spot. Um, and through that time with God, you know, when I'm reading the scriptures, it'll just challenge me to, um, to think about something differently, to try something, and also just to be challenged um, – uh, challenged in different ways, and uh, and then there's those times where it's just like I just have the sense mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, we're we're done with this boring stuff. Like let's get on to something else. <laughs> right. And and usually it's when I'm really not ready to do that um, and thinking differently and you know the idea of thinking differently and getting out of my zone is just not. I'm not thrilled about it. I so. Know. Because you always want to be in control, comfortable, uh, in the place where you're like, you know, I can handle this. I know I can do it. And I always felt, even in my own life, Ruth, it's like God's always like, nope. Yeah. And I think that is where when people always go, well, my life with Christ and Jesus isn't isn't fun or passionate. It's like the the fun part of it is trusting him. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like this battle. We're like, we want to have this great, fun, adventurous type of life, no matter what our circumstances. But then when opportunities present themselves, it's God's like, okay, here you go. Then we go, no, it's too scary. I'm too afraid. I'm going to mm-hmm. fail. Uh, it's not going to be perfect. I'm not equipped. I, I'll be, you know, in the imposter syndrome. And I exactly. won't like, yeah. and then we And then we create all these things in our head when it hasn't even happened, and then we exactly. don't do it. Yeah. Where I think... For a lot of women, you know, and men, it's that's part of living life with Jesus. Yeah. You just step out and, you know, and, and, you know, I've said to people, I failed at stuff. Some stuff didn't work. But I was like, honestly, oh, well, then it didn't work and onto something new. Like it hasn't, it's hurt for a bit, but then it hasn't hindered me or mobilized me to, 
you know, not live a life that has so yeah. many opportunities, right? Yeah. And the and the verse that I, I wanted mm-hmm. to bring out to you, because it really stuck out to me the other day when I was uh, mm-hmm. reading my devotions, and that's basically um, in Matthew 11, 25 and 26. It says, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. And here he's referring to his disciples. Hmm. (laughs) So these are the guys that are hanging out with him. And, you know, he's picked a tax collector. He's picked, you know, the the fishermen, the bottom of the barrel people to hang out with him. And, you know, I often feel like the bottom of the barrel person. And so, and God basically goes, you know what, you're perfect because you don't have any paradigms that are holding you back. Mm -hmm. And we always, when you're the bottom of the barrel person, you view yourself as unlovable, you know, not leadership material, not fabulous. who wants to who wants to do anything with me but god goes hey you're perfect let's yeah. go let's run do a lot of yeah. fun things because you're not stuck in i have to do this and i've got to do that in order to make this perfect world that i want to live in you're like i got nothing so let's go and it's not the best way to live yeah i got nothing so whatever happens great or bad i think that sense of i still know who i am yeah God is still with me, still loves me, and so we'll just do this life adventure. You know, yeah. I think I love that. I love that. Now, you and your husband, Andrew, are, you know, very successful in business. You've done a lot of, you know, you know, business and very successful. And in, in sort of the world's eyes, it's like you could have done anything else. Um, most people would say with that, you know, kind of success, um, you know, you would – you could – do different things in your, your life. But you guys have chosen something completely different. And you talk a lot about this sort of um, defining success, not by society, but what God is calling you to do. We talk about that because that's a struggle now. I mean, Christian or not, wherever we are on the on the on our faith spectrum, you know, this, the culture we live in, especially in North America, the drive for money, success, wealth, comfort, consumption, materialism. Like oh, it's yeah. all there. Oh, yeah. And we can just, and, and especially when you are successful and you are wealthy, um, there's the lure of that and expectations of how your life should be and what you should do. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that because I know for my viewers and listeners that that's a real, that would be a great takeaway and learning for them of someone who's there and has made different decisions and what the world would expect of them. Uh, it's absolutely true, and uh, you know, we're, I mean, we're, you know, we're not really retirement age, um, and my husband recently retired, and part of that uh, comes from a theme that we've had through the course of things growing. Um, you know, as the business grew, it started in our basement. We started two businesses in our basement. They both did very well. Um, eventually. One was let go, obviously, because the other one was growing at a much faster rate. Um, but we, it, the one that grew was a travel company, and so we were able to go and do these sort of high-end tours. And um, I started becoming a person that I'm not. I was like, um, oh, this is not really up to my standard, or can you Oh, you even had the bag? accent. Did you have that little... Oh, well, uh, you know, you must put on the British accent. British ac- Why is it always the British accent? I don't know. Every time we do this, like the British accent. The British accent. That's right. High tea with the Queen. So I was just, I was going to this 
place mentally that is just not really me. Mm. And I went, you know what, I don't want to be that person. And then, and you know, my husband and I talked about that a lot. We didn't want our kids to be that those people. We wanted our kids to be uh, people that cared about, you know, people that work with them, that work for them, mm-hmm. um, to be to care about the, the kids that are getting teased, you know, mm-hmm. it, to be there for people. Um, and so we've constantly asked ourselves the question, "How much is enough?" And uh, That's a good question. you know, you can. The reality is, if you don't ask yourself that question, you can keep going because every new thing that you get can make you want to get a new thing. Mm. Um, And we have downsized our house about four times. We live much more minimal. Um, Our our house is very uh, clean, not cluttered, because what we noticed is the more stuff you had, the more stress you had. You know, you've got to take care of your car, you've got to take care of your house, you've got to take care of your garden. And and just the more things you had, the more you felt obligated to do different things. Um, You know, like, I've got a thousand craft things. Well, Mm -hmm. now I've got to do all of those thousand craft (laughs) things. Craft days. Right. (laughs) So the more you keep around you, the more... um, the more you add to your stress, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to work harder to pay for the bigger house. You've got to, you know, if you want to be in the know or want to be seen, then you've got to be in the club membership. And, the, you know, mm-hmm. and it can really continue to go, the big cottage. And we, we decided, you know what, we don't want to do that with our money. We would rather um, do enough that we feel free to be involved in other things. Mm-hmm and invest in people that are really making a difference uh, in our community. And we feel blessed. So for us, this is time for us to give back and really invest in others. And we're really thankful that our boys have taken that same attitude. Yeah. So that question, you said how much is enough? enough? Yeah. It's a good question. And I think anybody, no matter where you are financially, how much is enough? Because you can say that when you're, you know, in, in different socioeconomics all the, yeah. all the way around. Yeah. And it, and it mm-hmm. really is like a, a gradual thing um, that you have to be conscious of. You know what? At the end of the day, the stuff is not going to make you feel better about yourself. What is going to make you feel like you've lived life well are the relationships that you have, mm-hmm. how well your kids are doing because you've invested time and effort into them. Um, and it's, it's the meaningful adventures, the meaningful events. Yeah. That is what makes you go, yeah, my life has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. The stuff really doesn't do anything for you. So, you know, and I think that's good because I think when you, you think, you know, you talk to some young people and sort of millennials and younger, and it's all about getting, getting, getting so that you can have this great life. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, Ruth, it's like, you know, I was there, like, I love nice things and whatnot. And, you know, there, there's that's still some stuff that I, you know, get in life, some nice things. But, as I've gotten older, it's the relationships and and the time and the commitment, the investment in significant relationships yeah. and have really filled my life. And then with Chris, with great friendships that, you know, you go, we could be sitting on the sidewalk, but I've got friends around me and mm-hmm. this is a great day. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you, so, you know, I, I, what I want to encourage people is that rather than, you know, sort of pursuing that, maybe start 
changing the focus and pursue great relationships and community. Yeah. Not that, you know, not because I think, you know, people that have money so that they can help in areas of, you know, with marginalized people and helping the needs of the world, that's key. But I think if that's just the focus, it's just to get money so that you can get the bigger thing so that, yeah, and you can be in the club so you can be seen and it's popularity, mm-hmm. then I think that's just, there's a check. It's it's just an emptiness. And you know what? We, like, that's something we don't want for the next generation either. Right. Um, you know, all of our kids, we we have not been the parents that give you the free, the new latest iPhone, mm-hmm. the new latest iPad. Uh, we are intentional. They work for things. And they it has helped them frame the value of what they work, you know, what mm-hmm. they have. And it's helped them frame the value of working hard, but being invested in the community yeah. and other people. Um, and I, it's just, you know, I, I look at it and go, one of these days we're going to be standing before God. What do I want to be telling God when I get there? Yeah. You know, guess what? I had all this stuff yeah. and it was so awesome. <laughs> and I don't like, I want to be Lord, you know, we, we had some really great times with a lot of really amazing people, yeah. and you took us a lot of really amazing places. Yeah. That, that's the conversation that's I'd rather have. Well, to end this time, which I could talk to you for like hours, uh, I want to finish just with this last thought because, you know, one of your passions is you like to encourage others to redefine themselves through a relationship with Jesus, which mm-hmm. when I'm hearing all the things you've said, it is through that kind of lens in this. Um, what what do you mean by that? Listeners and you know viewers are, are listening and saying, yeah, redefine themselves through a relationship with Jesus. Well, I mean, there's a point in time that all of us reach where uh, something that is really important to us gets shut down. So in my case, my business, uh, which was marketing and branding, had to be shut down for the travel company. Mm-hmm. And I was devastated for a year. Mm-hmm. I, I bawled and had, you know, I was really mad at God. And, uh, and I felt like at one point he said, you know, when you're done with your temper tantrum and rolling around <laughs> on the ground, let's talk some more. And what, what I found was when I just, you know, got over being mad at him <laughs> and then yeah. and got into the Word and talked to him, that it, um, the more you read God's word, the more you get into it, and it really doesn't matter where you read, um, but you just start to remember, oh yeah, God loves me, he has a plan, um, There, thing, good things are going to come out of this, and you know, wait on the Lord, We're, we've become a very self-help, quick fix, um, make me feel better, fast kind of society, mm-hmm. and we're missing that gap where God puts you at a standstill and goes, okay, let's you and I really talk and, and get to know each other again and mm-hmm. get refocused. And so, you know, when when things are falling apart for you, instead of running to the self-help book, to the, you know, whatever program you can hop onto, um, I just encourage people to get back into the Word and just read the Word, get mad at God, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, tell be him, real with them, Tell right? him how upset you are. Yeah. And But I can guarantee you that God brings the best out of the worst situations. And mm. we've just seen that over and over again where, you know, because of loss, I was $20,000, $25,000 in debt. And all of that was paid back in a couple of years after I trusted God. And, and those stories go over and over wow. again. So... 
I can see where then this riding motorcycles, sailing, and racing cars comes a little bit mm-hmm. from, right? So because I'm listening and I'm like looking at, you know, these on the table, these trophies, and looking at, you know, this around my neck. And I kind of realize when you have that kind of mindset where you're sort of open-handed and you kind of go, okay, God, what's the next thing? I can see where the fun of this for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. How, right? It's, it's kind of like getting rid of the garbage and the extra stuff in your house. You're not lugging around all of those limitations. You're like, what are we doing now? Yeah. I'm going to go sailing. Yeah. And you guys just came back from a, yes. how long was it again? We, we, since our boys were all in university, we took a nine-month sailing sabbatical <laughs> to regroup as a couple. And it was the, along the same lines. You know what? Money is not important. Our relationship is more important. And Beautiful. we're going to take time together. Yeah. Ruth, well, thank you so much for taking time with me. This was amazing. I think we now should, should go race our minis yes. <laughs> around Toronto. <laughs> that would be so fun. Well, no, you're an audience now. I'm a mini, so we yeah. can like, do our thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much. I love just the honesty of you know your story and your life. And um, you know, seeing you were, I, I can't even imagine that you were this sort of timid, shy, kind of mousy girl that you know was being teased because I look at you now and go wow I would never I would have never expected that or assumed that for you so I think that's that's really sort of a, a testament of the work that God is and has been doing in your yeah, life absolutely so thank you thank you so much for coming and hanging out and uh, we'll have to get you back here again soon thanks so much Melinda Hey, thanks for checking out this week's episode of Your Story with Melinda. There's plenty more at faithstrongtoday.com slash your story. But if you really want more, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never, ever miss an episode.